Hey, I'm Jane Hilsden, marketing consultant and founder of the How To Do Marketing Academy, as well as small business marketing agency, Dragonfly Marketing. Welcome to this episode of the How To Do Marketing Show, a no-nonsense podcast about marketing for small business. It's my mission to put marketing on the agenda for every regionally-based small business in Australia. Why? Because I know that when marketing is done properly, it can help your business grow. The How To Do Marketing Show is a podcast just for you and your small business. Bursting with marketing insight and information, this show will be a fabulous resource to help you know all there is to know about the topic of marketing for small business. Hi there. So glad to be with you again to bring you some more of the How We Do This series. I'm going to be tackling one of my favourite topics today, which is customer research. One of the non-negotiables of our marketing strategy development is customer research. Why? Well, the main reason is this. As business owners, we have a bias. I read an awesome quote today by James Clear, um, who's the author of Atomic Habits, and he says that the things that you take pride in are the same things you are likely to be biased about. And this is so true of small business owners and their businesses. When you pour your blood, sweat and tears into a business that you've either started from scratch or you might have acquired it and and, and you give everything that you have got to this business, of course you're going to be protective of it. Of course you're going to take pride in, in this. You're passionate about it. And, and when I ask small business owners, why their customers need them and their business and why they should value them and and what they sell. Of course, there's no doubt in the business owner's mind why their customers' lives would be so much better with their business in it. That goes without saying. And that's one piece of the, the strategic puzzle. But here's a piece of reality. Your obvious is not your customer's obvious. Your customer does not have the context or the passion or the knowledge about your business and your product and your service. They don't know your, you know, what you sell and why that should be so imperative for them. You know that because you have this inherent ingrained knowledge and passion about why your business is good for your customer. But your customer doesn't know that. And it's not only that, your your customer has thousands of other alternatives and businesses and people and news and content that's dropping into their brain each day. And that's forming their own private perspective based on their own individual lived and learned experiences. And these are going to be different from yours. And so while you think your customer should think a certain way about your business, well, they might, but they might not. And there's no way that we can anticipate what they think of other solutions available to them unless we ask them. So how will we know which channels to reach your customers on? Well, we ask them. 
How will we know what to say to help convince them to know, like, and trust your business and your brand? We ask your customers. And how do we know what problems they perceive that they have so that we can position our business as the solution for this? We ask them. So I get you guys get the picture. Okay, so when we actually put together a customer research scope for a client, we always tailor the question specifically to their organisation, their goals, their customers, etc. However, there are some question themes that appear really regularly, no matter what the business, what the industry, what the situation is. There's 10 of them. So I've compiled a list and I'm about to uh, go through them. So if you want to find out more about your customer, if you want to get into into their brain and understand what they're thinking so that you can more accurately meet them where they are, go and grab a pen and paper because if you don't know this information about your customer, this is the line of questioning that will help you you know, find it out. Okay. So question number one, and and these aren't in any particular orders order. This is just the way I've written them. So question number one, when it comes to to what you sell in your industry, what this the solutions that you provide, what are your customers' biggest pain points? So for example, if you're a gym, what is your customer's biggest pain point around going to to a gym or why they would go to a gym? So I'll hazard a guess at one. A pain point that a customer might have is that they feel really unfit or that they're overweight or they've just been to the doctor and the doctor's told them that they've got a heart problem and they need to increase their fitness. That's their pain point. If you go deeper on that, (laughs) an emotional pain point is that they might be feeling unworthy. They might be feeling, um, you know, they might be feeling really sad or disappointed with themselves because they're in a situation that they don't want to be in. So that's that's their pain point. That's that's why they that's how they might be thinking. That's and that's the emotional state and and what we have to understand. So that we can, if we understand that, we can actually address that pain point with messaging to help them understand why we might be the solution. So, so question number two, same scenario. When it comes to what you sell or the solutions that you provide, what are your customers' biggest aspirations? So that's, that might be just something that's completely opposite to their pain points. So, for example, if we use the gym example again, you know, the reason why people might be looking at gym as a solution to their problem is that they might actually have aspirations to fit into a gorgeous bikini this summer or they might have aspirations to, um, you know, reach a certain goal weight so that they can feel like they've achieved, you know, a um, a challenge so that they can feel fit, so that they can fit into their favourite pair of jeans. Um, Their aspirations might be bigger than that. They might want to set, you know, a really good example for their family. Um, 
again, you know, understand what drives your consumers by and your customers by asking these sorts of questions. Now, of course, you wouldn't just go to them and say, what's your biggest pain point? You generally design questioning so that you can kind of extract that out of them. And depending on what your industry is, it will depend on how you ask that. And same with the aspirations. Sometimes a question I ask around the, the aspirations is, is I'll say, um, if I had a magic wand in this situation, so if I, in this situation of the gym, if I had a magic wand and I could wave that magic wand and grant you any wish when it comes to, to your weight or your weight management or fitness or whatever it is, what would that wish be? And sometimes that kind of big questioning, imagine, you know, it's sparking some imagination. It's sparking the, oh, the thought of, oh, okay, like if I didn't have to, think through all the challenges and the realities and the and the blockages, what would be my wish? Um, and you can tap into their aspirations that way. Okay, number three, when it comes to the problem that you solve or what you sell, what other alternatives do your customers have? So essentially this is trying to ascertain who are you competing with? Who are you competing directly with? Who are you competing indirectly with? Because you often small businesses will look around and they'll look at their direct competitors. So who's another business that looks pretty much like them and is serving a very is targeting and serving a very similar customer? They're your direct competitors, but your customer in reality actually has a lot more options available to them than just your direct competitors. So, for example, so for my clients, my clients are ambitious and motivated small business owners. Okay, let's just assume that their pain point is that they're just, they're getting frustrated because they can't figure out a way to drive consistent leads to their business. You know, their businesses has ebbs and flows, their cash flows all over the place, and they just can't, this is frustrating them. And they need to, they really want to understand how they can drive a much more consistent revenue flow into the business. Now, if I put myself into my customer's shoes like just depend like just pretend that they've never really looked at the marketing piece before there's actually an overwhelming number of solutions available to to try and and that the, a lot of these solutions would would um i guess espouse that they were they were the solution to drive those consistent leads i'll just rattle off a few for for examples um for an example Okay, so if they're looking to, to drive social media leads, they, you know, there's a bunch of social media marketing experts and they come in all shapes and forms and sizes. There's some social media marketing experts that specialise in Instagram, some that specialise in Facebook, some that specialise in ads, some that specialise in all of it, some just do organic feed, some just do social media content. How's a small business owner supposed to kind of really sort out which solution just in that little industry is going to help them to, to, to build more consistent leads? Now, they might also have the option of a bit of radio advertising. You know, a mate at a barbecue could have told them about how just by, by implementing radio advertising consistently over 12 months, that's, that's driven them leads over, over the 12 months. So that might be an option that they have to consider. Maybe the local TV representative, sales representatives been in the inbox that week and, and promised them, um, you know, a great deal on TV advertising for the next three to six months. 
that's another option. They could go and go, go and buy a book about marketing. Um, they can come and join my marketing program and, and work with an expert for 12 months, my, my How to Do Marketing Academy Mastermind. And that's the one, of course, that I would be recommending. Um, but you can, you, you know, you get the picture. There's so many choices. None of those other choices that I spoke to are my direct com- competition. They're, they're completely different solutions to what I offer, but they're options that the customer has in their worldview, in their perspective. So if I can put myself in my client's shoe and go, oh my goodness, like look at all of those solutions that they have. Ha- I would be doing my clients, my prospective clients, a huge favour if I can actually position my business as to how my marketing academy is going to solve the problem that they have of drive, you know, of, of not being able to drive consistent leads, how my marketing academy will be the perfect solution for them in that situation, just to make it easier for them to go, okay, this is how Jane and the How to Do Marketing Academy is is going to, to solve that for me. And that makes it a lot easier. Because if all of those solutions just turn up with a blanket, you know, just come and come and take our solution, do our TV ads, uh, book our radio ads, you know, come and jump on board with our agency because we'll help your business grow. If all of us just turn up and say, we'll all help your business grow, that doesn't really make it much easier <laughs> for the poor client to, to decipher which solution is, is best for them. So you want to understand their worldview. What else can they see? What else is on their radar? Don't just assume because you have a website and because you get on social media every now and again that they know about you and that they know enough about you to be able to compare you to other alternatives in the market. Okay, question number four. When it comes to what you sell and the industry that you're in, How do your customers typically go about researching and sourcing information to help them make a decision to buy? So let's think of an example here. What about um, a big purchase like a car? Okay, what when someone is buying a car, that's that's not a purchase that most people take lightly. It's a big investment. It's something that lasts you many years. And it's generally, you know, there's there's other considerations like is it going to fit the family and the dog and, and you know, is it something that I can put through the business or, or whatever. You know, there's always lots of considerations in, in terms of buying a car. So where do people start? Like where do, where do people start looking for information here? Um, and if you're asking your typical customers, can you remember, you know, when you were um, considering to, to, you know, to come and buy from me, can you remember how you sourced information? Now, some of the obvious answers that might come back there, oh, I asked around, I asked for referrals, I asked friends. Um, another obvious selection, another obvious um, answer to that might be, oh, I Googled information. Um, you know, I, I, I ask a lot of these questions myself, so I've heard so many responses to this, this question. Um you know, some will say, oh, some will be so, so good in terms of recalling how they did it. Well, I saw something on Facebook and then um, someone else was mentioning it here. And then, so then I went on to Google and I looked at that and I watched this video and then I picked up, you know, some people can recall that beautifully. Most people don't, you know, a lot of the time, like, oh, I can't, 
I can't remember. I saw something and then what I did was this. Or I went to three providers that I knew um, and I went and asked for information, you know, and then I made my decision based on this. Like how useful is it to know that? that information because if you get trending data there like if you get a lot of people saying oh yeah I just go straight to Google and I've had that like I've I've done research campaigns where the majority of people and I I would have actually expected it to be different you know different responses but they said no no I go to Google I go straight to Google and I start googling it and then there'll be other you know um, decision drivers within it um but if you know that, you're like, okay, well, I know where my marketing investment has to go. I need to make sure that I'm visible on Google. If they're searching on Google, I hope they can find me. You know, I hope my Google My Business page is, is up to scratch and optimised. I hope my website is telling a good story because clearly these people are going to Google to find more information out about people based on their website. We don't know a lot of the time, you know, we see the website hits. That's people checking out your website. Um, so we want to know how they're, how they're doing that. Hey, if you are loving what you hear in this episode of the How To Do Marketing Show and you want to know how you can get some of this marketing happening in your own business, come and join me in my How To Do Marketing Academy Mastermind. You'll work directly with me and a bunch of other like-minded, motivated small business owners for 12 months. And in that time, I'll show you how to plan, implement and measure the marketing that is right for your business. The results that you can expect are that way more of the right type of people are going to come and get to know your business and your brand. You'll increase your leads, you'll increase your revenue, and best of all, you'll finish the 12 months with a complete and thorough understanding of exactly how to do marketing. Head on over to howtodomarketing.com.au to find out more. Now let's get stuck back into this episode. Another one that kind of ties into that is the next question, question number five, who influences your customers? Some decisions to buy are very individual um, and people will, will find their own way to research and, and um, work out a way to purchase or, or find a solution to a problem. Some are very collaborative, you know, like let's go back to the, the, the example of the car. You know, it's, it's very, it would be very unusual for a married couple, for example, or a partner, you know, a, a partners, um, partners, I should say, to, to make a decision to buy a car without the other one, you know, conferring with the other one. Um, who, you know, who influences the um the brand of the car you know is is that friends is that family um is it kids you know is it advertising who in the community is it the mother's group like who in in people's spheres of influence are uh, in their ear influencing which brands and products and information that your customer customer gets um and and looks for when they're when they're purchasing um, number six, we're starting to look at demographics here. And look, there's a whole bunch of demographic information that you can grab about your customer. A lot of the time, I don't know, I think demographics are kind of on surveys, um, 
for the sake of being on them a lot of the time. Like whenever you're looking at, at asking questions around income, education, um, you know, even, yeah, I mean, geographic, geographic, where they're based geographically might be relevant. Um, those sorts of questions, just think carefully about, well, does it actually really matter? Like if I sell online, apart from, I guess, postage or delivery issues, you know, how am I going to use the data? If I ask them where they're geographically based, how am I actually going to use that data in my decision-making? How am I going to use that data either operationally within my business or to make marketing decisions? Um, and if you can't think of how you would actually use it or if, if that's not going to actually make um, a big difference in terms of what you do for your customers, don't ask it because we want to ask as, as few questions as possible. One thing that I do ask, though, and this is question number six, is, is I try to get an understanding of what life stage they're at. And I'm deliberately phrasing it like that because it's kind of age-related. It's kind of generational-related. But I think in terms of life stage, sometimes that's the, the most important consideration. If we go back to the car example, you know, if we're talking to mums who are looking for a car for for young kids, for a family, you know, she's got a family with young kids, the life stage that that she's at, you know, we've really got to consider that as, as marketers in terms of how we're going to show up with our messaging um, and how we're going to show up on our channels for, for that particular mum because that mum is at a very, very different life stage to the empty nester mum who doesn't have young kids anymore. She's not going to have the grubby handprints and the sandy feet and all the rest. Um, and need as much room for the cots and the prams and the, you know, boxes of nappies and everything else that comes with, with young kids. Um, so, so they're at different life stages. They're going to have very, very different needs. Now, if we were to look at that based on age, we might be a bit discriminative because who's to say that a 40-year-old hasn't got young children but if you're assuming that a 40-year-old is kind of moving towards older kids and teenage kids or for even a 45-year-old, um, you've missed that market. You know, it's, it's much easier to kind of put that in a life stage segment as opposed to a, to a particular age. So, you know, generational things like Again, if we infer that all millennials act a certain way, if we infer that all Gen Xs are, you know, pretty digitally savvy, it's not always the case. There are, you know, there's definitely trends that show that that there are there are definitely swings um, with with generations in terms of, you know, their their um, overarching trends. But but yeah, just have a look at that and go: is it is it is it you know, is it more relevant for us to actually really um, segment on age? Um, would we be missing groups if we segment on age? Is it more relevant for us to look at life stage um, and, and understand, you know, what their family situation or what their work situation or what their career situation is like, depending on, on what you sell? Number seven, we're starting to ask questions about media here. And, and this one I just feel is so obvious. You know, one of the biggest questions I have from small businesses is what 
you know, I don't, I, I don't know which social media channel to use or, or which channel in general shall I use. I don't know where to invest my, my marketing dollars um, where, where I'll actually be able to, to get in front of my target audience. Um, so just ask them, you know, just where, which social media channel do you use most regularly? And, and this is another thing that I see small, businesses, small business owners do quite a bit. Sometimes because they're a Facebook user or because they're a huge Instagram fan or really prolific on LinkedIn, that's where they'll want to show up for their customers. But if your customers aren't on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook, it doesn't matter how much you like it they're not on it. <laughs> so, so we need to understand where which channels our, our target audience are using are using most regularly. And I specifically asked that question of social media because for small business, if your if your audience are using a social media channel, there's just so much that we can do here on the marketing front. Um, on, on a really cost-effective budget, like social media is generally a winner for small business. So that's why I specifically asked that question of that channel. But question number eight is, well, what other media do they consume? So if we're looking for a really integrated marketing campaign approach, we need to kind of find out where else are they getting their information from? So, you know, podcasts are a big thing. What podcasts do they listen to? Do they subscribe to particularly to particular indus, um, industry emails or even retail emails or regular regular emails? Um, look, print print is kind of dropping off quite a bit, but we we would always used to ask, what magazines do you read? What newspapers do you read? What local publications do you read? You know, if if radio or, or TV are relevant for your for your brand and your target audience. Which radio stations do you listen to? Like, don't guess that and don't assume just because you use a certain channel that your target audience will. Um, just, it's such a simple question to ask your target audience, you know, why, why wouldn't you? The so question number nine is actually a question that's really only relevant if you're going out to your existing or previous customers. And it's um, the net promoter score question. So I have actually done an episode. No, actually, I've written a blog post, which I'll put in the, um, the show notes about um, net promoter score and what it is. But essentially, in a nutshell, the, the net promoter score question is on a scale from 0 to 10, with 0 being unlikely and 10 being very likely, how likely are you to recommend your business brand um, to a friend or colleague. So this question helps to understand how many detractors, so those who score you between naught and six, and how many promoters, those who score you a nine or 10, you have inspired with, with your business. Now, the real ones to be careful of in the equation are the passives. And these are the ones that are satisfied, but not impressed enough to rave about you. So the passives essentially rate you seven or eight. So there's a lot of small businesses that have passive customers. And just because they are satisfied, business owners think, oh, okay, that's fine. They're satisfied. But in my book, like I'm always aiming for the promoters. And, and if I was getting consistent, if I wasn't getting consistent promotion, 
promoters, you know, people giving you a nine or a 10, then it's time to start being curious as, as to why. So if you're getting like a six or a seven or a seven or an eight, what that means is that people are going, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that was fine. I can't think of, you know, anything really bad that happened. But when people feel like that about your business, they're not out there raving about you to to friends and family. You know, they're not proactively singing your praises because they're just kind of mildly satisfied with what you do. And in my book, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it really well. Um, so I'll, I'll always throw that question in, it, it, you know, for annual surveys and, and even for this additional, for this um, initial, I should say, customer research. Number 10. Now, this one can sometimes be feel a little bit uncomfortable for small businesses to, to ask. And I'll go back to um, the quote that I mentioned at the beginning of the, of the podcast by, by James Clear in terms of us having a bias for the things that we are most passionate about. And sometimes we get really nervous about asking question 10, which is, do you have any suggestions for improvement? And again, this is only going to to be relevant to existing or previous customers. Now, for me, I ask this question all the time because I am on just one big, huge, continuous improvement mission. Like I love to find out how I can make things better. For me, you know, bring the constructive criticism on. You know, I I want to know what there is to fix. In fact, sometimes I'm actually just downright disappointed if someone can't come up with constructive criticism Um, But I know that there's so many small business owners who I've worked with who are really nervous about doing a whole customer survey, about doing a customer survey full stop because they're like, oh, you know, I'm really worried about what people might have to say. Um, But, like, wouldn't you rather know what what people are saying about your business because, they're saying it, you know, whether you know they're saying it or whether you don't, they're saying it. Um, so I feel like it's so much more um, helpful if you actually understand what they're saying and that that's kind of what that net promoter score question gives in terms of insight as well. Um, that that kind of puts a number behind it. But But if you go out and say, you know, what can we do to improve, uh, and you get some some suggestions back, awesome, fantastic. That's great because sometimes you don't know that there's an issue. You don't know that there's a problem. You don't know that there's been a misunderstanding um, and you don't know that these people have, have felt like that um, and, you know, you, now you've got this opportunity to, to address it. Um, and and where, where we and why we ask that question up front, particularly in our marketing strategy, is because if we're asking existing and, um, you know, previous customers that, we can get an insight into, uh, you know, perhaps there's some things that we can actually um, fix or look at before we actually go out and amplify the business and the brand so that we make sure that we don't get more of that dissatisfaction coming back from, from clients or customers. 
So there you have it. There's 10 questions. As I said, there's so many more that that we would that, that we can sometimes ask as well, but they're the ones that we tend to ask mostly. They're the ones that across every industry and business have, have relevance and they provide such useful insight. Um, so, yeah, that, they will be the ones that you'll find on a lot of uh, client surveys and certainly in the, the How to Do Marketing Academy Mastermind, that's a process that we take um, the small business clients through to, to design that line of questioning for their business, for their marketing strategy process. Um, and also something that we encourage people to do on an annual basis to, to be able to benchmark this, this data and make sure no balls are being dropped um, as we grow the business, make sure that that um, you know those fundamentals are being addressed. So it's a hugely, hugely, huge part um, of of what we do. Um, okay, so as a recap on that, um, the ten questions that we ask is when it comes to what you sell, what are your customers' biggest pain points? When it comes to what you sell. What are your customers' biggest aspirations? When it comes to the number three, when it comes to the problem that you solve, what other alternatives do your customers have? Number four, when it comes to what you sell, how do, you, how do your customers typically go about researching and sourcing information to help them make a decision to buy? Number five, who else influences your customer? Who else do you need to capture with your marketing um, and positively influence that, that might help influence your ultimate customer? Number six, what life stage are they at or what generation, what, what age, whatever's relevant for your particular segmenting? Number seven, which social media channel do they use most regularly? Number eight, what other media do they consume? Where else can we meet them? Number nine, the net promoter score on a scale from 0 to 10. How likely are you to recommend our business, insert your business name, to a friend or colleague? And number 10, do you have any suggestions for improvement? So go on. My challenge to you is to go and ask your customers those questions if you are not already. You may be surprised with what you find out along the way. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the How To Do Marketing Show. And remember, if you want to know how you can get some of this marketing happening in your own business, come and join me in my How To Do Marketing Academy Mastermind. It has been developed just for small business owners like you. Head to howtodomarketing.com.au. And until next time, happy marketing. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production.